we can look back at our yeah. our own lives mm-hmm. a year ago and say, okay, I was, I, by God's grace, I'm more patient now yeah. with my children than yes. I was last year, or mm-hmm. I have a greater affection for God than I did prior, or you know, we, we want to be growing in that, and that's motivating to us when when you see, mm-hmm. oh, it, it is possible to be justified and to make very little progress in sanctification. Mm. And and may this stir us to say, I want, by God's grace, to grow as much as possible today, this, this week, this year. You're listening to Make and Multiply, a podcast devoted to equipping the members of Emmaus Road Church to make and multiply disciples of Jesus Christ in the city of Sioux Falls. The people of Emmaus Road are committed to regular rhythms of gathering and scattering. We gather corporately in worship on Sunday mornings. We gather in missional communities and discipleship huddles, and we scatter throughout our city where we want to give every resident of Sioux Falls repeated opportunities to hear and respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Make and Multiply. My name is Matt Groon, and I'm one of the pastors here at Emmaus Road Church. I'm joined this morning, as always, with my dear friends, Ryan Chase and Caleb Durnberger, uh, pastor and pastoral resident at Emmaus. And uh, just to acknowledge off the bat, we are recording up in the uh, chapel building, and there is currently chapel going on. So if you hear any joyful noises or kerfuffles, uh, it's the middle school from Sioux Falls Christian. <laughs> Different sounds than your dog Ted makes. It is true. You know, we've just replaced sound for sound. Mm-hmm. Um, one is more aggressive, maybe, than the other. But hey, quiet, undisturbed yeah. recording space yes. is difficult to come by. It's really hard. Yeah, especially with three guys who all have little kids and me with a dog. So, <laughs> so, but in the future, we're hoping to find some space that we can lock down and put pads on the walls and have this perfect studio acoustic. So someday, someday we'll be professional. That escalated quick. Yeah. yeah. Hey, just, just, just throwing it out there. Okay. Well, so this week, guys, we are going to jump back into the statement of faith. Can you believe it? We have done 10 sections of the wow. statement of faith. Um, there are only this one and two more left, and we have walked through the entire Sovereign Grace Statement of Faith. We call um, that plotting. That's just a plot, just man. Chip away. Just like a buffalo on the prairie, just, just moseying. Sometimes he has to run, but not always, you know? So today, we're going to look at the, the, the heading. Uh, again, this can be found, if you'd like, on our website, emmausroadsf.com slash beliefs. If you scroll down, um, you you can see all these subheadings and then you can also download the entire statement of faith PDF if you'd like. Um, but we are going to look at the titled, uh, life in Christ section. And there's two parts here, growing in Christ and waiting for Christ. And we'll start with the first section growing in Christ. So I'll, I'll read that. All believers by virtue of their union with Christ are progressively transformed into his image. Although the ruling power of sin in our lives has been broken, remnants of corruption remain in our hearts that we will fight throughout our lives. This lifelong process of growth takes place as the Spirit empowers us to abide in Christ and strive for holiness in every area of life. Resting in Christ's finished work never renders our efforts necessary, unnecessary, but rather un- enables the joyful pursuit of loving and pleasing God. Compelled by grace, believers grow in the knowledge of God, obey Christ's commands, walk by the Spirit, mortify sin, and pursue God's priorities and purposes. 
Although such actions are not the ground of our salvation, they demonstrate the authenticity of our salvation and are a means by which God keeps us faithful to the end. Among the many public and private means of grace, the word of God, prayer, and fellowship are primary instruments of our sanctification, fostering communion with God and training us together to glorify him, love others, and testify to Christ in the world. Amen. That's, that's a lot. And packed with hope. Yes. Mm-hmm. And, and really, out of all of the statements so far, this section in particular, and even maybe even this this subsection really locates us in our everyday life. Yeah, yeah. Uh, this is the life of the Christian is in this mm. growing in Christ phrase. Now we would, the theological term for what's being described here, this progressively trans, this progressive transformation into his image would be sanctification. Um, so maybe let's start there and kind of define that term uh, and then, See where that takes us. So, yeah. Ryan, what do we mean when we say when the theologi- or the theologians among us talk about the Christian's sanctification? Yeah, sanctification, the root of that word, the Latin word sanctus, mm-hmm. means holy, and so it is the process of becoming more and more holy in our actual lives. Right. Um, to sanctify is to make something holy, and. So it's important to distinguish between justification and sanctification. I think that getting clear on those two doctrines and understanding their relationship to each other, how they're different, how they're related, is vital to joy and progress in the Christian life. Justification is a legal declaration once and for all. Mm -hmm. You can't be more or less justified. You don't lose your justification. You're not falling in and out of that status. Uh, And it is the declaration by God that all your sins are forgiven, that you're counted righteous in Jesus Christ. And I often compare this to the part in a marriage ceremony when as the officiant, the pastor, I make a proclamation, a legal declaration that changes the status of those two single people into married people when when I say, I now pronounce you husband and wife. There's a declaration, one-time thing. So then a couple is married, but now they begin the rest of their lives together. And they are in the process of learning how to love one another and forgive one another and serve one another. That's a lifelong process. When they are, you know, say they go through a major conflict in the first month of marriage. They call me up and say, we need counseling. We have this conflict. Can we do the ceremony again? Can we get married again? Um, There's no need to do the wedding ceremony again. Mm -hmm. They are married and their married status is not something they fall in and out of. But is there room to grow in learning how to love one another and forgive one another and deal with sin in a godly way? Yes, that, that's a process, and, and that's what sanctification is like, that process in the Christian life. My sins are forgiven. I am counted righteous in Jesus. I'm not falling in and out of this, you know, saved, unsaved, saved, unsaved, or justified, not justified. But being fully justified completely in Christ is one thing, then actually growing in holiness and godliness and Christ-likeness, growing more and more free from sin, more and more like Jesus in everyday life— that's the process of, mm-hmm. of sanctification. And like you said, it is, it, of all of these doctrines that we cover, this is the way I like to think of it. This is where the rubber meets the road. Yeah. If you think of a car, all the parts in the engine, you know, which of those matters the most? Well, the engine, all of it really matters. And all of the power and capacity of the car is located under the hood. A lot of the other doctrines we've been talking about are like the engine under the hood. 
all of the power is happening there. But where does all that power actually make contact with the road? The only part of your car that should be touching the road should, <laughs> be. should be the tires. Mm, yeah, yeah, should be. <laughs> Everything else should be off the ground. So that means all the power in the engine is transferred to the ground through the tires. And sanctification is like that, where we have these incredible, glorious doctrines and truths, truths about God and about the world. All of it makes contact with our everyday lives here in this realm where we're talking about sanctification. Like, all right, and all these things I believe comes out my fingertips now when we're talking about how am I living in my, my everyday life. Yeah, that's good. That, that analogy of the, the wedding ceremony is just so helpful because it keeps, keeps things where they're supposed to be without questions being raised about, your, are, am I married, am I not? Um, being a bad husband does not negate the reality of your husband. You are a husband. Right. Um, and the call then to be better is not a prove your husbandry right. it, or prove that you are a husband or maybe you're not. We'll find out seeing how you do. Right. No, you are. So act like it. Grow. Um, and so that that's really helpful in keeping that framework because I really do think, and maybe this is where we can move next, is that there seems to be, and it's in this distinction between justification and sanctification where um, that can lead to questions about assurance or lead to, am I really saved? Why keep sinning? Um, So that's one avenue it can lead to. It could also lead to uh, what we would call like an antinomianism or a, a, I don't, wherever it says to obey, like the statement says, uh, compelled by grace, believers grow in the knowledge of, of God, obey Christ's commands, which are real. There are real commands in the new Testament and we are called and expected to obey them. Um, of course there's a real inclination of our heart to not be told or to not want to do what we're told and not just in a rebellious sense, but in a Am I adding to my salvation? I thought I was saved by grace, not by works. Um, So maybe let's unpack that. And this providentially lands really well, Ryan, just this past week, you you preached um, from Exodus and you titled your sermon Against Cheap Grace. Uh, So maybe we can flesh that out. How how did all those pieces connect? When Bonhoeffer was writing Against Cheap Grace, he made that comment that in his day, he was recognizing there are a lot of people in the church, they're saying, well, because grace is so great, we should not change at all in right. our everyday lives. We should live just like we were before. We should live just like the world. We should sin like the world. We should, because that magnifies grace and shows that it doesn't matter what we do, God forgives us. Right. Almost as if to be godly would be to neg- to downplay yes. his grace or diminish his grace. Right. So in actual, so the, the, tw- the, what I would say backwards thinking, the twisted thinking is, uh, by heightening our sin, we heighten God's grace. And Paul has something to say about that. Yeah, Romans. exactly. <laughs> Romans six, when Paul addresses that, because God's grace really is so amazing, Paul anticipates it, it would be a logical question then for people to say, well, if you're saying my sin in the end magnifies the grace of God, should I sin more to magnify the so grace of God grace more? may abound, yeah. And, and Paul says, by no means. That's right. So, no, the, the grace of God, yes, it is magnified when it comes in and covers all of our sin as high as it's piled up, but it's magnified beyond that when that same saving grace then transforms us and changes us, delivers us out of our sin and begins to correct our thinking and change our attitudes and renew our minds. And and suddenly new fruit is produced in our lives that wasn't there before 
owing to the grace of God, that's what magnifies the grace of God for those who have come to enjoy that and experience that and, and trust that. So you, you use that word antinomianism, which means against law. Mm-hmm. And, and there, that's a prevalent attitude, whether people hold it consciously or not, I think in, again, American evangelicalism, kind of just a, a bias against any commands as mm-hmm. though any command from God, any talk of obedience to God is contrary to grace rather than seeing, no, this, this our salvation is so big that God doesn't just justify us. He justifies us. And then by his power and his grace and his spirit through the gospel, as we trust in Jesus, he begins to transform us and empower us to walk in his ways and to obey his commands from the right motives. You know, once it would have been by our own effort for our own glory, trying to earn something from God. When you're saved, your motives change. It's because I trust him and I see this is good and right. And he's honored and glorified in my life when I walk in his ways. And I experience the blessing of living God's way instead of my way. So that's, that's what we're talking about with mm. sanctification. Yeah, and also I, I think, especially as we've been walking through the book of Exodus and we see God really is doing things, you see him acting, you see him saving his people, you see him bringing them to himself, in a lot of ways, justifying them, doing this marriage ceremony, you are mine, I am yours, you are mine this moment of, of securing them. And then he gives them commands and he gives them law and there is expectation to obey. And then we see it play. It's like, we see the, our Christian life in a microcosm happening in, in Exodus of, wow, we were in slave and bond. We were slaves in bondage. God graciously, providentially saves us. Incredible. Brings him to himself, gives us himself, gives us these commands. And then what do I do? I sin all the time, immediately. Um, but we see grace happening and forgiveness and reconciliation. But the key difference between that old covenant that, and the new is they were not able to obey. From the very beginning, there was the, the, they will not have, in Deuteronomy, they will not have eyes to see, they will not have ears to hear. All of that is anticipated, and what is needed is a new, they need new hearts. Um, Regeneration. Mm -hmm. Circumcision of the heart, not of the flesh. They need regeneration, new hearts, eyes that could see, ears that could hear. All that's promised in Ezekiel 36 with this, and I will remove their heart of stone and give them a heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit within them and cause them to walk in my way. So even the walking in our ways, in his ways, which we must do, are spirit inspired. And that's Paul's whole point in Galatians five and six is of this walking, keep in step with the spirit is because by nature, I will do the actions of the flesh and I need the spirit, which is a sovereign supernatural thing given by God at my salvation that now causes me to produce fruit that I would not otherwise. So even in my, even in the fruit that I do produce, I cannot claim as my own meritorious work. Um, there is no service I can render to God that he needs. Um, I'm not his employee and he's just waiting for us to get our act together. We are sons adopted into his family, given his spirit because of what his son did and now are commanded. And God, the, the logic of the gospel is God never makes commands or never demands that which he has not made provision for. And he makes provision for first in Christ, securing it. And then in the spirit, I mean, that's what uh, uh, Jesus says in John 14, 15, 16, it's better that I go away because then the helper, the paraclete, the advocate will come and he will convict the world of sin. And he will actually 
what Ezekiel, fulfill the promises of Ezekiel 36 to cause you to walk in mm-hmm. his ways. And I think that's just so helpful for me because that gives me something to pray for. Uh, if, if I see a continual sin coming up in my heart, it gives me opportunity to say, God, I need your, I, I need your spirit. I will not slay this dragon on my own. And then the gospel, praise be to God, Jesus has slayed the dragon. So now that I can fight this sin and have victory over it because of the spirit working within That's me. Right. So again, all progress in our faith is all continually pointed and glorified back to God who receives all the glory because he's the one actually actually doing it. Yeah. And that's an evidence of the grace that has saved us and the grace that has trained us when we actually have his commands and keep them. You know, Jesus himself says, you are my friends if you do as <coughs> God has commanded. Mm. We see that in that text, even that you preached on Sunday, Ryan. It's so helpful to, to see it as... Um, a prescription from a wise and loving doctor um, instead of something that we must do to earn his favor. You know, is dad mad at me today? Is, should I get out of the house today? Yeah. Um, did I do enough to did earn, I do earn enough my keep? To, yeah, to get back in the house. No, it's just thinking of it as if, if you have an infection, you take the antibiotics. The, you, what you're doing is not necessarily saving you. The, the medicine is saving you, and that's the same way we, we see that. So if, if there's any love or any mindfulness, or any just inkling of desire to, you know, it's even the law that that confronts us with our sin, says, Mm -hmm. you have broken my commands. If there's even any remorse towards your sin, any grief that you have sinned, it's because God's commands are valuable to you, and they're leading you back to him. So I think that's one helpful thing when we think about this, this process of sanctification that we are all in with other people. That's something that we can point people back to, because... Oftentimes we're, we're overly burdened, like, gosh, I suck. Yeah. I did it again. I, I'm just, Introspective, I, I, I can't yeah. get out. Of, I can't get out of this. And that's actually, there's actually, there's a fine line there between like a right type of grief of that sin, that's but right. also like a self-righteous, like I'm not as good as I should be. Mm-hmm. Like even in that type of thinking, it's like you're saying I should be better. And I am the one who earns the salvation yeah. rather than the one who has promised to complete that mm. work, which is ongoing. So I think that's just another that's helpful, a great point. Another helpful thing to to point people back to, you know, in discipleship huddles. One of our rhythms is to say, I mean, when we hold out God's word, if that is a discernible sign that that grace is functioning, when you say, "Yes, I love your commands. Yes, I want. I've disobeyed your commands, but." I want to walk in a way that is pleasing to you, mm-hmm. that takes your testimonies yeah. as my delight. Yeah. yeah, I think it's important to repeat again and again: obedience is not legalism. Right. Uh, we we do contrast faith with works when we're talking about um, our justification, the instrument of our justification, Christ and His righteousness is the grounds for our justification. We are united to Christ by faith and faith alone, mm-hmm. and that faith that unites us to Christ is never alone. Right. That living and active faith produces works. And right. so it's, it's watch out for thinking faith is the opposite of works mm-hmm. or, you know, the opposite of obedience is sitting here just trusting and doing nothing. So it says in the statement of faith, resting in Christ's finished work never renders our effort unnecessary, right. but rather enables the joyful pursuit of loving and pleasing God. So it would be, dangerous to think, well, I'm supposed to just sit here and rest in Christ's finished work and do nothing as if doing nothing is what's most pleasing to God. Right. Obedience is mm. pleasing to God. 
the obedience that comes from faith. And that's where uh, yeah. I think one of the most helpful things personally, and I see this in, in counseling and discipleship, when you can understand the difference between two different kinds of works, work as a meritorious, right. it's, it's earning something, work that's earning payment. Um, I'm, I'm doing a service, rendering a service to God, and now he owes me for it. That's legalism. But trusting God and doing what he says, because you trust him, that's the work of faith. And so Paul speaks of the obedience of faith at the beginning of Romans and at the end of Romans. The whole letter is bookended by the obedience of, of faith. So yeah. I, that's vital to understand in this distinction, oh, so in vital. the process of sanctification. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And even that, I mean, that language that you pulled out, the statement highlights that. Although such actions, obedience, are not the ground of our salvation. That's what we really, I mean, that's that's so helpful. The ground meaning the bedrock, the foundation, what, what's, anch- what's it anchored into? It's not, my salvation is not grounded on resting on my actions. Right, it's, yeah. it's resting on the on Christ in Him crucified. If, to go back to that marriage analogy, it'd be like if it, it'd be like saying your marriage is dependent on how how good you were today at Oof. loving your wife, being patient with her, being kind yeah. to her, and and mm-hmm. suddenly you know moment by moment you're falling in and out of your married right. status based on how well you're performing. Right. Imagine that. That yeah. just. And doesn't that just, even just that thought rattle your assurance, rattle your security. Mm -hmm. So thanks be to God, that's not the case. And yet we're called to, while our works are not the ground of our salvation, faith, Christ is the ground of our salvation. And faith is the, one theologian said, it's the hand that receives the grace of God is is faith. And we know that even that faith is a gift of God. And yet we, the question that you just answered is, well, what kind? What is what is that faith? What does that look yeah, what like? What does it mean to trust? And, and James mm-hmm. is clear. Or Paul's very clear that faith alone is the thing that receives God's grace of salvation. James takes it over and says, "Okay, well, what does that look like? It doesn't look like sitting around doing nothing. That's that's right. dead faith. No, yeah. it's a living and active and obedient faith. Yes. Really, yes. It, it obeys God's commands and not in a meritorious way, but in a uh, trusting in Christ. And so. That coupled with the phrase of like, it's a lifelong process. Yes. Um, I've heard one guy describe it as like, climb, I think I've said this in a different context, but it's like climbing a mountain. Um, you are going up towards something and yet sometimes you have to climb down and sometimes you fall. <laughs> sometimes you get back up and you go a different way and you have to snake trail this and that. And th- that's the Christian life is this, mm-hmm. yes, it is a slow progress up. And there are, it's not just a straight rocket shot up to the top right. of just perfectly becoming more and more holy every minute of every day. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, go ahead. And since it's progressive, unlike our justification where everybody is equally justified, nobody's more or less justified, you either are or you're not, sanctification, you can be more sanctified or less sanctified. And by God's grace, the longer you walk with Christ, the more sanctified you should be. And so, we should expect that kind of progress. We should hope for that. We should desire that, aim for that, um, avail ourselves of the means of grace that God has given to us so that we can experience that, so that we can look back at our yeah. our own lives a year ago and say, okay, I was, I, by God's grace, I'm more patient now yeah. with my children than I yes. was last year, or mm-hmm. I have a greater affection for God than I did prior, or you know, we, we want to be growing in that. And that's motivating to us when, when you see, mm-hmm. oh, it, it is possible to be justified and to make 
very little progress in sanctification. Mm. And, and may this stir us to say, I want, by God's grace, to grow as much as possible today, this, this week, this year. It informs, too, how we then are to relate in fellowship with one another, right. of like, what does discipleship look like? It means confessing sins and being confronted and saying, no, you need to grow in this area. Yeah. Um, Recognizing real progress, expecting real change. Diagnosing our own souls and saying, I seem to... And having other people around you who are able to reflect that to you, to like as we always say, gospel community is knowing each other's stories well enough to know where the gospel needs to be applied. Well, one, that involves getting to know one another, doing all of life together. And then secondly, okay, now applying that gospel to those situations for the growth of sanctification to become more like, like Christ. And so that, that really informs, again, Ryan, you are exactly right earlier, this is where the rubber meets the road. This is where real life, real Christian life takes place. Um, and the means of that, the, 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 the breathing in and out of the Christian life is repentance and faith, repentance and faith, turning away from this, taking off the old man and putting on the new, turning to something else, trusting in the promises of God. Yeah. Mm -hmm. In Galatians three, Paul addresses a heresy that was going on in the, in the Galatian church. And I think one way to think about that Galatian heresy is that they fell into this thinking that they began by faith, they heard the gospel, they believed it, but then the way to make progress, the way to change and, and grow and, and remain in fellowship with God was to rely on their own efforts. And mm. Paul confronts that um, throughout the whole letter, but in chapter 3, he says, are you so foolish, chapter 3, verse 3, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and so it's important in the process of sanctification to remember we start the Christian life by faith, by grace, mm-hmm. and the way you make progress in sanctification is also by grace through faith. And so Titus 2, 11, I quoted this on, on Sunday, one of my favorite passages on sanctification, tying these two doctrines together, says, the grace of God has appeared bringing salvation for all people, training us mm-hmm. to renounce ungodliness, worldly passions, that's putting off ungodliness, worldly passion, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives. And, and so you notice it's, it's not like God's grace saved us, and then we work hard to put off sin and to put on godliness. No, the grace that saved us is the grace that now trains us. And so it's, it's all by grace. And so to understand sanctifi- sanctification, um, it, sometimes people get this idea like, all right, in justification, God does it all. But in sanctification, we kind of help God out 50-50. You know, right. like he, he picks up the front end of the load and we pick up the back or, um, or I do as much as I can and then he kind of takes it from there and gets the ball over the, the end line. And it's not like that. It is by faith alone, through grace alone, our, our progress and our growth so that even our obedience is coming because we're trusting in Christ and because his grace is working mm. in our lives. And so then you have to avail yourself of the means of grace, which I think the end of this section is, is so helpful when it talks about among the many public and private means of grace, the word of God, prayer, and fellowship are primary instruments of our sanctification. Mm-hmm. Th- those are, and Caleb, you were talking about, like, these. this is what God has prescribed. And when God gives us these things, he's not saying, you know, do these things to render some service to me. He's mm-hmm. saying, this is going to guard your heart from self-righteousness mm-hmm. and from idolatry and from self-reliance and from unbelief. And you, right. what guards my mind from unbelief more than anything? Reading the word of God. Yes. <laughs> here are mm-hmm. his promises. <laughs> Renewing my mind. Here I am in prayer, 
responding to God's word. Here I'm in fellowship with other believers where my heart is stagnant, but other people are encouraging me and I see their faith on display and I'm, I'm stirred up to love and, and good deeds. So those three things primarily. And then there are lots of specific ways we make use of God's word and prayer and, mm-hmm. and fellowship. Mm-hmm. But those are the three big categories we think of in terms mm-hmm. of means of grace. You know, at the water parks, when they have those little mushroom waterfall things you can yeah. stand under. Like, yeah, those are like, it's like the means of grace. God, God just says this is where it's all coming. To. I love standing under those. Like, oh, this is so cool. I'm just getting soaked. That's, uh, that's what we do. We go that, stand over there under those mushroom the, waterfalls. The buckets that fill up and then tip when oh, they get yeah. full. Oh, oh man, those west. knock me over though. Hey, and then a, I hit the ground. That's a great hard. way to think about it. It's like it's, that's where they're falling. Go go stand over there. Yes, you will not faith. get soaked if you stand outside the pool right. and just watch it happening. Yeah, that's, a, that's, that's really helpful because it means of grace. It's like God says, this is where buckets of my grace mm-hmm. come down. Yeah. Yeah. And sometimes you're standing there by faith, not feeling it, <laughs> not, not seeing anything. Right. But when you stay there by faith and you know it, it's coming, God has promised this is where he pours out his grace. This is yeah. where, where he delivers that. that. That's what it's like going, that's, that's a great And we've said that before illustration. We, at the beginning of the year when we do our kind of our habits of grace are walking back through some of these very things is, you know, it, 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 it's tempting to think of it then now as like a, a power source that you just plug in and out and you get stuff out of, or like a, a vending machine, mm-hmm. um, which is a, t- a real temptation. In fact, this is why the reformation happened was to, to separate. No, you don't get the grace by just doing certain activities. Um, you know, you go to this, you do that ceremony, you do, you, you say this, however many our fathers and take this mm-hmm. bread and blood or, uh, uh, bread and wine. But then, but it is more of a, I think Greg has said a positioning of yourself yeah. under the waterfall of God of, and this is where he's promised himself to be. And so I'm going to, I'm going to go there. Yeah. So that's good. quickly, let, let's read this last section and, um, cause this one is called waiting for Christ. And, uh, I think this is very future oriented. So Living the Christian life involves longing and waiting for the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. Although believers are new creations in Christ and presently enjoy the blessings of his resurrection power, their sanctification remains partial and incomplete in this life. Furthermore, they continue to live in mortal bodies in a creation subject to futility, opposed by the world, the flesh, and the devil. The word of God assures us that we are his beloved children, yet such an assurance does not remove the reality of suffering, sorrow, persecution in this present age. The gospel enables us to rejoice in the midst of tribulations, assured that his purposes are working for our good, even in circumstances we do not understand. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, we endure in faith and abound in hope, confident that a day is fast approaching when sin and sorrow will be no more. That's excellent. So if the first section is the rubber meeting the road, this is highlighting, well, we still do remain in a fallen world. Mm-hmm. And there really, there really is suffering. And uh, the New Testament does not make any bones about it. Like, it doesn't try to hide that ball. First, I think of First Peter. I think of all these New Testament passages. Expect suffering. Mm-hmm. In fact, James says, rejoice in yourself. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. It's in that that the steadfastness of your faith is you're approved and, and grown in those moments, in those valleys. So this just highlights the, the realities of the growing, of the realities of, the, of 
what sanctification looks like. It's not that rocket ship right. up. It's, it, it is a progressive climb mm. with ups and downs. And, and these teachings in scripture are so crucial to guard against disillusionment. And I do think it reveals to us suffering and hard things reveal to us when we are falling into that kind of vending machine mentality of relating to God, thinking, I don't deserve this. I've been doing all the right things. I've been going to church and reading my Bible and trying to obey God, and this is what you give me? Yeah. Uh, that response, if, if that's our response to suffering, it indicates I, I was only really ever obeying God to get the good life, it, uh, the good life yeah. to get mm-hmm. an easier life. Yeah. By faith, we can go to those promises and know, like Paul tells the Corinthians, um, this light and momentary affliction is preparing for you an eternal weight of glory beyond comparison. Yes. And so we know this is not wasted. It's not meaningless. There is no such thing as meaningless suffering in the life of the Christian. Even if we don't see what is this for or what good is this causing now, we have this hope that in eternity, this somehow contributes to the weight of that glory. And so that empowers us then to endure this and know, one, God is using this for my sanctification. Mm. It's a part of his loving discipline in my life. Um, And and two, it's building up for me a a sweeter eternity Mm -hmm. of enjoying God's grace forever. Mm. So this is important so that you don't just get a view of sanctification like, well, as long as I just obey God and do the right things, then now life is easy. Right. Yeah, that waiting proves where our allegiance lies and where our affection is. I just mindful, Ryan, that text, the Titus 2 text, the verse right after you right. ended, it says, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Just, right. like just like a five-year-old son who's waiting for his dad to come back from tour, then who's been gone for like two years. Mm. Just, that's, that's the way we are to, to be in mm-hmm. this life, waiting, because we love the one we're waiting for. We, we, we are longing for the one we're yeah. waiting for. So we wait despite what might happen along the way. We know that for certain, our Lord Jesus Christ will return. Yeah. Um, and you put those two things together, and, and you see it's not a passive waiting. It's not like, well, we'll just sit here and twiddle our thumbs while right. we wait for Jesus to come back. No, mm-hmm. because we have this hope, that motivates us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions. Mm-hmm. It motivates us to grow in godliness while we wait. It is, waiting is a faith thing. We are believing it, we're trusting it, and so we're living differently because we believe he's coming back and he's going to yeah. make all things new. So in that waiting, grow, uh, trust Christ and obey his commands and uh, confess your sins and repent and believe in the promises of God. And he is faithful to complete the work that he began in you. Um, And that's our hope. That's our trust. Not that in our own strength and our own, oh, look, I've just, I've obeyed for so long and I just keep, you know, wow, I'm just such a good person. No, our, our hope, our strength, our assurance our, the ground of our salvation is in Christ and Christ alone so that now we can obey and we can grow and we can confess our sins to him and to each other. And so go do that. Uh, do that in your families. Do that in your marriages. Do that in your discipleship huddles and your gospel communities and wherever you are. Uh, enjoy this life in Christ with all of its ups and downs as he continues to and marvel at the glorious deeds of God as he continues to to make you and mold you into more and more like Christ. Uh Plenty, honest, way more we could say. <laughs> and yet this As has always. already gone long. So, we'll be back. Uh, well, yeah, that's the, 
point of plotting. We'll be back. All right, till next time, guys. Thanks for listening to Make and Multiply. If you have questions about anything related to discipleship huddles or missional communities or gospel fluency, you can reach out to your missional community leader. And if you're not yet plugged into gospel community at Emmaus Road, visit us online at EmmausRoadSF.com.